It's been a beautiful day, for me at least. And I have the sense in this uh, auspicious gathering that a lot of uh, really wholesome, blessed, Energy has been cultivated, hopefully helping to reveal, loosen, dissolve some of the karmic obstruction which can keep us from having any clarity about what is. We're in the heart of the retreat. About halfway through, so it seems uh, time <clears throat> with this <coughs> foundation of wonderful foundation of cultivating blessings that we uh, turn <clears throat> turn to the fundamental principle. Turn to the heart of the matter. In the Sarangama Sutra, The Buddha said the following about <clears throat> two roots. The reason those who cultivate cannot accomplish unsurpassed awakening but instead reach some lower level incomplete level is because they do not know the two fundamental roots and are mistaken and confused in their cultivation. They are like one who cooks sand in the hope of creating a savory delicacy. They may pass through as many eons that's a unfathomable stretch of time. They may pass through as many eons as their motes of dust, but in the end, they will not obtain what they want. <clears throat> to paraphrase, why do beings not accomplish this awakening to the true nature? The Buddha says it's because we don't understand two fundamental roots, roots, R-O-O-T-S, roots. And that in that not understanding two fundamental roots, it's like even though one makes impressive effort, it's like cooking sand with enthusiasm. <laughs> I would put ginger, ginger in it. <laughs> Gotta add ginger. It's a miracle what it can do. <laughs> I don't care how much you add. Cooking sand, uh, one reaps weariness, frustration. So the Buddha goes on. What are the two, Ananda? Ananda is his beloved disciple who this discourse was given on behalf of, I'll talk more about that, Ananda got in some trouble and this discourse was for his benefit. What are the two, Ananda? The first is the root of beginningless birth and death. All, all the suffering. Born and dying and hoping and despairing. 
the root of beginningless birth and death, which is the mind that seizes upon conditions and that you and all living beings now make use of, taking it to be me. Taking it to be the self-nature. Taking it to be me. The root of beginningless birth and death is this mind that seizes upon conditions. That you and all living beings now make use of. Right here, body, mind, seeing, hearing, smelling, feeling, pleasure, pain, thinking, liking, not liking. That's the first root. The Buddha goes on. The second is the primal, pure substance of the beginningless, awakened peace. Here in the handout it's translated the beginningless Bodhi Nirvana, but Bodhi is awakened. Nirvana is peace. It means cool. So that second root that we're not understanding is this primal pure substance of the beginningless, awakened peace. It is the primal, bright essence of consciousness that can bring forth all conditions. But because of conditions, you consider it to be lost. Living beings lose sight of the original brightness. That's an amazing line. Living beings lose sight of the original brightness. Therefore, though they use it to the end of their days, they are unaware of it. And without intending, they enter the various destinies. What are those? It's the questions we were talking about, the six realms. Even though we're using this fundamental original brightness but not being aware of it, taking conditions to be me, attaching, climbing on to happiness, health, success, into the various destinies because those conditions which we took to be me and mine, their nature is anichang. They change. And that, as that condition shifts, what we took to be me, it crumbles and there's wobbling, fear, maybe blaming, and then trying to reestablish me and mine, knocking away what's in our way. So we enter the destinies of happiness for a while and then disappointment, encountering pain, it can feel like hell. the various destinies. The root, beginningless birth and death is taking conditions. Original brightness, unaware of it, so it's unreal. What are you talking about, original brightness? What's real is success. What's real is mine, I'm the winner. What's real is you're on my back, get off my back. So attaching to conditions, I don't want that, I want that. And then, not that it's evil, but holding on to what the Buddha called upadana, Climbing up onto a condition of certainty or happiness, that's called birth. Ah, oh, yeah, finally I've made it. Gee, ooh, it was a struggle getting here. But that sense of 
my happiness, my success, my health, my body, my whatever, my idea, my, I'm right. Then because things change, just like right now, as we've composed ourselves, cultivated attentiveness, mindfulness, presence, we can start to touch into what it is that we're taking to be me and mine. This body, it's pulsing with the heartbeat, the sensations, the face, head, skin, back, knees, hips. We can have pains we didn't even know about till we stop. And sights and sounds of the Dharma talk and understanding or, or not understand, or, or agreeing or mm, I'm not really sure. These streams of thought and sight and sound right now, this moment, this reality, my life, Though we might have ideas, I'm this way, I'm someone who I understood last year, but I I forgot it and I just got to get, if I can get back, I mean, I had it. It just, it was something. So it seems so solid. Me, I'm someone that was and now and I'm trying to get back. All those thought processes. But as we go closer to this moment and even noticing the thought processes, how flickering, bubbling. That's when really, when Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara was practicing the profound Prajnaparamita, she illuminated the five khandhas and saw that they're all empty and she crossed beyond all suffering and difficulty. The profound, in-depth, not just taking the service, me, mine, I like it, I don't like it. The profound prajnaparamita is, is with this directing our attention. Prajna is panya, it's wisdom. These kundas are these aggregates, this, these, these dimensions of, uh, of what we take to be me and mine, the, the bodily, this body and the forms around us the feelings of pleasure and pain and neutral feelings and perceptions and thoughts and impulses and volitions and moments of noticing, consciousness, seeing and hearing, etc. Illuminating them when we really notice how they are shifting, changing. Once one sees how vibratory, ephemeral, just like the in-breath never stays the same, becomes the out-breath, and the light, the colors, the wind, the thoughts, then the idea that we're going to arrive at certainty As I said before, Ajahn Chah said again and again, if you look for certainty in that which is by nature uncertain, we're bound to suffer. So this root of beginningless birth and death is taking something to be me, mine, and we lean on that. And leaning on it, as it shifts, we then fall. 
like if we, when I was so ill, I'm so much better now, but when I was so ill, when I did finally start to be able to get up, try to go brush my teeth or something, I would always look for the next wall to lean on. Looking for things to lean on, support me. I was so tired. Standing up was exhausting. Thinking was exhausting. But as if, like, if I had to finally go somewhere, if, if, if I saw a car and I could lean on it, huh. But if I'm leaning on it and somebody drives it off, I then fall down. Yet that what what happens to us all the time? We lean on certainty, on praise excited when we're appreciated and then devastated when we're ignored or blamed. Not understanding that, the Buddha said, is like cooking sand, hoping to get a delicacy, or in Zen they call it polishing a brick and hoping you're going to get a mirror. Like when I was thinking, I've got to get more peaceful, I had some facility with getting calm in my early practice, being with the breathing, smooth, calming, relaxing, the subtle sensations. And I was like a snapping turtle on that calm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and if you get more calm and more calm and more, then it's bound to just go boom then it'll just be there forever. That's called polishing a brick, hoping to get a mirror. It's like cooking sand for a savory delicacy. I was taking that calm to be mine. Calm is skillful, but it's, it's not mine. It belongs to nature. It's a phenomenon that comes and goes. And so realizing that is the beginning of the great return. We've been realizing when we keep wanting something to be certain that's not certain, we realize we've been looking in the wrong place. Sajjan Cha would say, I love this. He would say it's like going up to a duck and saying, why aren't you a chicken? Quack, quack, quack is all right, but you could wake people up. You could, you could do good karma. A duck's a duck. Conditions change. The great return in starting to allow, to give back. And we start to notice conditions come and go, and one starts to notice the matrix, the context, the wider ground within which that was here all along, that primal root, the original brightness that, how did the Buddha put it? Beginningless, that's timeless, awakened peace, what he realized was the deathless, the undying. In the Pali Canon, there's, there's also an incredible pithy discourse that I've given to you all, the Mula Sutta, the root sutras, the two roots. It's up here, you think, oh, there's only one root. It begins, rooted in desire, friend, are all things. Born of attention are all things. Arising on contact 
are all things. Converging on feeling are all things. Headed by concentration are all things. Governed by mindfulness are all things. Surmountable by wisdom are all things. Yielding deliverance as essence are all things. Merging in the deathless are all things. Culminating in Nibbana are all things. The first half, that root of beginningless birth and death is rooted in desire. It's not evil. It's just natural. We see something, yeah, yeah, it's me, it's mine. It's this hadn't been investigated, wanting, pleasant, wanting, happy, wanting, success. That's the root, and it seems so real. We've got it, and, and that's combined with not wanting. <laughs> There's the stuff I don't want that's out there, them, it. Rooted in desire, Born of attention, our world then gets, gets manifests where we give attention. Arising on contact, converging on feeling. Feeling is so powerful. It's right up there on us. If it's pleasant, yeah, I'm good. If it's unpleasant, whoa, what can I, how can I get out of this? Headed by concentration. This is not the, this is not Samasamadhi, this is not the concentration that's perfected, that liberates us. This is the concentration that fixes things, that seems so real, so solid. Me and mine and my stuff and them. This separative consciousness. But then the return, ruled by mindfulness or governed by mindfulness. Mindfulness then starts to attend to hey, what, what's here. Surmountable by wisdom, that's panyuttarasabedama. Wisdom is when mindfulness is gathered enough and then it becomes right samadhi, unified. Then it, when it penetrates the changing, the sounds, for example, the sounds can't be grass. They come and go. And wisdom will see that wanting a sound to be solid is stress. It's dukkha. It can't satisfy us permanently because its nature is there and gone. Not only sound, but sight and smell and taste, and feeling, and everything. Wisdom, recognize that, then it realizes, wow, it's, you can call it mine, but it's not really mine. So wisdom then relinquishes, it lets go, it gives back. Yielding deliverance as essence. We realize whatever it is. With wisdom, recognizing whatever's happening is at its core spacious. Just like Kandanya, remember? The guests come and go, the conditions are the guests, they're moving, but one then finally notices, ah, the abiding, what remains, that original brightness which is invisible, it's not an object, it's our very nature. <laughs> 
Merging in the deathless are all things. Merging in the deathless, all these things that seem so separate here and there and good and bad and the past and the, and the future and, and how I'm going to work it out. All this 84,000 things actually are footed, grounded, rooted, merging in that which never dies. That beginningless, awakened peace. Hmm, not so sure about that, Kitty. Well, how about an analogy? Stunning fall and autumn. Wow. Sugar maples are amazing, the kind of yellows and the other kind of maples, these incredible reds and the, at least in Tennessee, I'm not sure they have them here, but some of the white oaks have amazing red leaves and there's just, whoa, incredible stuff. We have our favorite trees, might be the oak or might be the maple or might be the, well, I like the evergreen myself. Or it might be the silver birch, or it might be the rugged hickory. Or, excuse me, Kitty, sorry, you haven't talked about, you know, in Africa, those indigenous slow-growing things, they don't drink too much water, and they're my favorites, okay? The indigenous. Where do they all merge? We can so see the ones we like the beautiful bark or the really tall, straight ones. Or No, I love the fact that they just bend to the wind. A tree is not a tree unless it's rooted, grounded. A tree without roots is dead. That returns to the ground. But as we go down the oak tree and the maples and the birches and the indigenous was down into the roots, then we get to where you cannot distinguish them anymore. They merge in the ground. And as the leaves and branches, we see it right happening. They're all falling. Oh, that, that, that beauty, incredible. My favorite is the maple. I mean, incredible. But it's there, it's red. I put one on my shrine, remembering Tanisra, my family, my parents. And in a few days, it's color, it's wrinkling up. As we see the leaves going back to the earth. Every condition, every sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, perception, impulse arises and ceases and dissolves back into that ground of listening, of awareness, of heart, whatever you want to call it. When we're inverted, externally, lopsided, we see the surface and then linked with thought, that's what papancha is, the actual stream, cascading stream of perception, the cognitive faculty comes in and says, oh, that's mine, me. You, you get a me, guess what, suddenly there's a you. You get a this, oh, that, that's good. Praise God. Oh, you got God in there too. And then it shifts, so you got to bring time in. Whoa, it's getting crowded. Get time, and then it, that's why it's proliferating. It gets bigger, bigger, more and more complicated. Merging in the deathless, culminating in nibbana, culminating or homecoming, everything finds its home.
the original brightness, the peace, the Buddha said, is always here and now. It's sanditiko, it's here now. Akaliko, it's timeless. Time, good time, bad time, and my God, this is already halfway through and I haven't had a big insight. She looks like she's had a couple of insights. But I don't got enough time. That sense of not having enough time arises and ceases in the timeless. It's not coming, it's not going. It's ahipasako, the Buddha said. It's always open, inviting us. So if we listen in to the changing nature and realize how ungraspable things are, recognizing the distress that comes from wanting things to be what they can't be, always wanting ducks to be chickens, we then let go, surrender, return. Namo means I return my life. And there's a chance to wake up to what already is. This discourse, sarangama, means the durable samadhi, sarangama sutta, sutra. The story is the Buddha was <clears throat> having a meal. He'd been invited out to a meal. He was busy enjoying his meal with his disciples and the happy lay people that were offering it. His beloved attendant wasn't at the meal. Ananda was doing a private alms round somewhere else. And Ananda was devoted and very good monk and incredible attendant to the Buddha. He knew exactly when the Buddha needed rest and when to tell people, not now, he's resting. And he memorized everything. Incredible study, studied uh, study the teachings. But he still wasn't fully enlightened. But anyway, he was minding his business, walking on alms round through a village, and, uh, or a town, I guess. And he happened to be walking by a certain house that turned out to be a house of prostitution. And it was run by a woman named Matungi. And Matungi had a daughter. They called her Matungi's daughter. And she saw Ananda walking by, composed and peaceful, on his arms round. And she just fell in love with him. He's so beautiful. And she, he said, she said, Mom, that's who I want. And she says, Honey, don't mess with the Buddha's disciples. They're... He's a monk, and she, she says, Mom, if I don't get him, I'm going to die. I'll just die. And it's going to be trouble. Don't mess. I'll die. Well, Matungi knew some mantras. See, there's other uses of mantras. So she says, okay. And she did a mantra. And Master Wa says, also, Ananda probably was looking around a little bit, and he noticed how beautiful Matangi's daughter was. Plus, it turns out, as a little side story, they'd been together for countless lifetimes, and so had a deep affinity. But anyway, he didn't remember that at the time. <laughs> and so he sort of, Matung, the mother, Matangi, did her spell, and then Ananda kind of got sidetracked off alms round and went in and then met up with the, the beautiful girl. Meanwhile, the Buddha's having his meal and he sees that it's getting to the point where it could be quite soon that Ananda's not a monk anymore uh, because they're proceeding <laughs> with their uh, meeting that was getting intimate. And so the Buddha, instead of giving a Dhamma talk, 
he wraps up and quickly goes back to the monastery, and everybody's thinking, hey, something's going on. Actually, before he did that, he recited this Sharanga Mantra, which we have the last part of it that we'll do, which is a very powerful mantra, just like the Great Compassion Mantra. And, um, and then he sent Manjushri to go and get Ananda and the girl to come to the monastery. But people just see the Buddha getting up and thinking, what's going on? He's walking back to the mountain, and they're thinking, something's happening, let's go. So they all went with the Buddha. And then, so Manjushri shows up, and, and uh, Master Wa says, well, he must have said some nice words. And, and anyway, they both came, Ananda and Matungi's daughter. And... Um, by then, Ananda sort of waking up a little bit and realized that, you know, though he loved the girl, he realized he just almost uh, had sexual intercourse with, with uh, the young girl together, and they, he then wouldn't have been a monk anymore. And so, uh, and then he was feeling a bit bad about it. And uh, they didn't actually say what the, uh, how the girl felt. But I want you to know, just in case there's any reactions the girl got enlightened before he did. That's a fact. She was... Uh... <laughs> anyway, so Ananda, the, uh, the Buddha said, hey, look, you have all this study, Ananda, but you, know, you still haven't really freed yourself. And so you know, he gave this talk on the two roots, and then he said, let's find a the method that would be best for Ananda. And that's then where he invited 25 great sages, this is a long discourse, to, to talk about their method, their method, their method. And they go all through. And the 24th one is the one about holding the name, the sacred name. And the 25th was Kuan Yin. Just to give you a flavor of... Uh, Or do I have a flavor? Or do we have it in here? Oh, yeah. So then Kuan Yin um, bowed to the Buddha and, and told, he said, World-honored one, that's the Buddha, I remember when as many kalpas ago as there are sands in the Ganges, there was a Buddha named Kuan Yin. Under that Buddha, I brought forth the resolve for awakening. And that Buddha taught me to enter samadhi through a process of hearing and reflecting. Initially, I entered the flow through hearing and forgot objective states. And then the sense objects and sense organs were quiet. The characteristics of movement and stillness crystallized and did not arise. Gradually advancing the hearing and what was heard both disappeared. And once the hearing was ended, there was nothing to rely on, and awareness and the objects of awareness became empty. When the emptiness of awareness reached an ultimate perfection, emptiness in what was being emptied then also ceased to be. Production and extinction were gone, still extinction or cessation of suffering was revealed. Suddenly, I transcended the mundane and transcendental worlds, and throughout the ten directions, a perfect brightness prevailed. I obtained two supreme states. I was united above with the fundamental, wonderfully enlightened mind of all the Buddhas of the ten directions. And I gained a strength of compassion equal to that of all Buddhas. And second, I was united below with all living beings in the six paths. And I gained a kind regard for all living beings equally. 
And then Kuan Yin goes on to talk about that in listening to the sounds of the world, uh, she would hear the sounds of suffering and then manifest the form that would be appropriate to help beings. She would be a Buddha for those who needed to be a Buddha, see a Buddha or appear as a general if someone could hear truth from a general or appear as a... If someone... I think uh, she appeared as a, a little four-legged dog for us helping us survive in South Africa. But one of her wonderful ones, that's why I like calling her she, uh, is that she sometimes appears as a beautiful uh, maiden. But the compassion manifests in the form. In a world that's so yang and willful and patriarchal, I, I don't know if the manifestation of strength, but feminine, beautiful, merciful kindness is also a powerful way that uh, you often see Kuan Yin uh, riding her dragon with her sweet dew. But she's, you can't say she's just female, just male, she's it all. But she talks about her powers to help come out of the hearing, just to give you a feeling. Because I do not contemplate sounds for my own sake, but rather listen to the sounds of those whom I contemplate, I can enable living beings throughout the ten directions who are suffering and in distress to attain liberation. Since my knowledge and views have turned around and come back, I can make it so that if living beings are caught in a raging fire, the fire will not burn them. And she goes on how she can save beings from drowning, difficulty. Hearing and reflecting. Hearing sound and then reflecting where sounds merge back. Manjushri was chosen to pick the one that was most suitable for Ananda and the one that would be very good for those in the age we live in now. And Manjushri picked Kuan Yin. He said to the Buddha, in this land, the true substance of teachings resides in hearing the sounds purely. If one wants to attain samadhi, hearing is the best way. And he goes through about what's so wonderful about hearing. Wonderful is the sound of Kuan Yin, a pure sound like the ocean's roar. The eyes cannot see through solid forms. The mouth and nose are much the same. The body registered awareness only through contact. Tangled in thoughts, the mind lacks clear connections, but sounds can be heard even through solid walls. One can listen to things both near and far. None of the other five organs can match this. It then is penetration true and real. The nature of sounds is based on movement and stillness. One hears according to whether there is a sound, but with no sound there is said to be no hearing. But this does not mean that the hearing has no nature. When a sound is gone, it doesn't mean hearing dies. In the absence of sound, the nature is not gone, said Manjushri, nor does it arise in the presence of sound. Entirely beyond production and cessation, it is then truly timeless. 
Then he goes on to talk about how Ananda got confused by the sounds when he was talking to, to Matangi. He says, you concentrate on learning to uphold the Buddha Dharma. He memorized all the teachings. But then he said, hearing does not just spontaneously arise. Because of sound, it gets its name. But when hearing returns and is free of sound, what does one call that which is set free? When hearing is not so chasing sounds, when hearing lets a sound come and go, when hearing returns and listens into the silence. What is that called when the hearing is freed from chasing? So Manjushri said, when hearing returns and is free of sound, what does one call that which is set free? Ananda and everyone in the great assembly, turn yourselves around. Revert the hearing. Return the hearing and listen into this true nature. He says, you concentrate on learning to uphold the Buddha Dharma. Why don't you listen to your own hearing? This inner listening is called the Shalangama Samadhi. Because we're returning, not just chasing the sounds, and the inner sounds are our thoughts, but we're learning to listen to the silence behind the sound. So it is said, as space is to form and silence is to sound, so is awareness to all phenomenon. Kuan Yin's meditation returning the hearing. And we chase when we're so caught up in thinking, proliferating thoughts. But when we start to hear the changing nature of a sound, of a thought, notice it's like a bubble. in the practice of non-proliferation, listening to the hearing, we listen into the ending. Just like we notice how the leaves drop off and in the ground, the roots, all the forms come together. When we hear the ending of thought, the ending of sound, allow ourselves to savor non-conceptualization, the silence, the guests come and go, the dust dances, but the space of the heart remains.
But when we don't listen in to the sounds of the world, and we're so addicted to the concepts, the objectification of me and my problem, and what am I going to do about this and them? That seems so real. Manjushri says it's like ignoring hundreds of thousands of clear, pure seas and taking notice of only a single bubble seeing it as the entire ocean. When we're so caught and things seem so impossible, yet returning the hearing, we still hear the voices. It's impossible, but we hear them come and go. We widen the gaze. It's called yonisomanasakara. Yoni means womb, manasikara, attending, placing things in that womb of awareness. There's still the conditions, but if we widen, we notice the thoughts and sounds are arising and ceasing into a listening, a presence, this brightness which is so easy to overlook. So we train ourselves, and I won't go into it tonight, but there's a training in this non-proliferation of using thought to decide whether something's wholesome or not, but also learning how to let thought subside. And that's why the mantra practice is so helpful. We're using one thought, repetitive, we're using it, but we, we let it flow and we see its nature. And then in between that and the next thought, we're learning to rest without grasping at thought. And when thought subsides, the mark maker that's not putting you, me, here, there, when there's quiet, everything merges. Understanding thought, then one can use it and not be fooled by it. The Buddha thinks, but he's not, his world isn't fractured by it. But to become more skilled, we learn how to moderate our thought. The mantra, letting it flow, savoring the gaps and spaces, learning how to rest in listening. It's sarangama, it's the durable samadhi because when we notice that which remains, conditions come and go, but in not grasping, we're resting in the ground of suchness. Don't get discouraged. It can seem so impossible and so much to do. Just remembering that original brightness is always here beckoning. Even allowing ourselves to listen into one sound coming and going. Each sound, each breath can take us back home.
rooted in desire, are all things. Born of attention are all things. Arising on contact are all things. Converging on feeling are all things. Headed by concentration are all things. Governed by mindfulness are all things. Surmountable by wisdom are all things. Yielding deliverance as essence are all things. Merging in the deathless are all things. Culminating in Nibbana are all things. All things find their home in Nibbana. Remembering that trying to keep things is a source of distress, at least psychologically. So finishing this beautiful day with a gift, because things ultimately don't belong to us. Wishing may the abundant blessings of this day of practice. As we relax, may those blessings suffuse and permeate into every cell in our body, brightening every space in our being. And as we relax with each out-breath, like a pebble dropped into a pool, sends ripples in all directions, relaxing and breathing out, may we share the goodness of our lives above, below, and all around, extending in all directions. Touching, blessing all beings near and far, seen and unseen, dear and not dear, family, friends, loved ones, ancestors, colleagues, enemies, those suffering, those in power, those oppressed, creatures, animals, Mother Earth herself, into space as we relax without distinction. May all beings share in the goodness of our lives. May all beings be free from all suffering.
Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharma Seed dot org slash donate